So when I was uh, uh, in seminary, getting to know Andrea, getting to know her family, I was, I was kind of coming into her family. And uh, they were gracious people. They kind of opened up their lives to me. They found this way to let me into to difficult things, to let me into fun things. Uh, you know, shortly after we started dating, they invited me to come on, along on their family vacation with them. Uh, they, you know, they took interest in the things that I was interested in. They really found a way to bring me into the family. Right, and so I appreciated this. This was huge for me because, uh, particularly with Andrea's dad, um, he's a fun-loving guy. But on the outside, he can appear kind of cold. Um, and so he'll hear this, and he'll get to hear my perspective, everybody's perspective on this. But like he can, he can seem like kind of a harsh guy, maybe a little bit scary, a little bit intimidating. So, you know, after we're we're getting to know each other for uh, some time, I'm like, okay, well, I need to ask Andrea to. M- to marry me, and so if I'm going to do that, uh, I need to talk to her parents first, and so I go into this meeting with her dad, and uh, this meeting is in his workplace, and his business that he has built, uh, or or that he has been a part of building to take it from where it was to where it is now, like he is a business owner, uh, and I'm getting to, as I walk into this place, I see all of his accomplishments before me, like all, all, all of the things that he is able to do, and then we go into this conference room where him and I are going to have a conversation, right? So this is intimidating. Every, la- like, layers upon layers of intimidating to me. And so, so I go, and I, I sit down at the table, and I just, you know, I share uh, my heart about Andrea with him. I share, uh, you know, kind of where we're at, where I hope to see our family go, and this kind of stuff. And I ask, hey, uh, you know, I, I hope that you and Lisa would uh, give me the chance to ask Andrea to to marry me, and, and, and so he was like, you know, yeah, that's great, you know, I like you, you're a cool guy, you know, all this stuff. Uh, uh, on top of that, I, like, I'm a pastor, right, gonna make a pastor's salary, like, no promise, of, but he's like, hey, whatever, come on in. And so, uh, so he says, but, Alex, you have to do one thing for me. You have to do one thing for me. And I was like, okay. So I had been staying at the, the Verhasselt house, uh, uh, on weekends uh, from time to time to spend some time with the family and that kind of stuff. And so, so he says to me, Alex, you have to do one thing. You have got to start putting the toilet seat down after you go to the bathroom. <laughs> and so instantly there is this like relief in the room. Like I'm like, okay, this guy is not like the harsh guy he's made out to be. He is able to set things at ease. I can breathe a little bit, right? Like all of this happens. Here's the point of that whole story. Andrea's family expressed hospitality to me. They welcomed me in. So they like gave me food. They gave me a place to stay when I didn't have a place to stay. They invited me into their family life. They found ways actually to make sure that they intentionally included me in things that they did. They expressed interest in the things that I was interested in. And they didn't shut me out of even the difficult times. They invited me in with them even into their hardest times. And so as a result, my openness with this group of people, Andrea's family, my openness increased in a very short period of time. And so uh, the result of that is actually today some of the most like open and transparent conversations that I've had with another human being have actually been with Andrea's dad. 
Like we have this really cool relationship with each other. So why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because we are talking about hospitality. We started talking about it last week. And um, so to, to kind of get us into the idea of hospitality, uh, I have this pastor of mine. You guys uh, have met him before. He's been here. Uh, Michael Fueling. He teaches over at Village Church of Bartlett. And, uh, and he, he did some research on hospitality and its kind of role historically in the church. And so, so he shared with us uh, one Sunday in a sermon, he shared that historically there have been three primary growth engines of the church, three primary uh, tools of evangelism that have been used. So, so historically, this is how the church grows. And it all depends on kind of what is the culture's posture towards the church. So, so when the church is in the cultural majority, the way that the church grows is actually through like big tent evangelism through uh, Billy Graham crusades, you know, through uh, moments where you put people out in front of a whole crowd and they proclaim the gospel and people come to faith in Jesus. Like this is, this is kind of something that we can observe has happened even over, like uh, we go back 30 years and this is something that was common in the culture. We back 60 or 80 years and that's something that we could see happen. Um, so that's when we are the cultural majority. When we are the cultural minority, the way that the church grows is through hospitality. So uh, through churches, through the gospel, serving and meeting needs, through having people around your dinner table, welcoming them into life, showing them the value that they have. Uh, and, and then the third way, when the church is oppressed by the culture, which I, today we're talking about the, the, the persecuted church, praying for the persecuted church, when the, when the church is oppressed, the way that church grows is through martyrdom. Through death, the gospel shared through death. When people see that people are committed to Christ regardless of whether they live or die, and that is, that is displayed tangibly, it becomes a growth engine of the church. And as you look throughout the history of the church, you can look at marked times when each of these strategies became the different growth engine. So, so here's a reality. Uh, within the last 40 years, the church, Christians, have moved from cultural majority, 40 years, 50 years, something like that, have moved from largely cultural majority, where it's a good thing to identify as a Christian, it's a respectable thing to identify as a Christian, we've now moved into the cultural minority. And so, uh, so you might notice some frustration about the fact that like uh, Billy Graham crusades and, and, and stuff of that type, it just doesn't do what it used to do. It doesn't produce the fruit that it used to produce, and that's because the church has moved from cultural majority into cultural minority. So what does that mean for us? It means that hospitality is the new strategy that we have to adopt. Now, this is kind of awkward because we were so used to operating one way, but now we have to kind of get this new strategy into our system. Now, it just so happens that hospitality is more than a strategy. It's a command of Scripture. Like, this is not something that we're called to do just to earn some kind of result, but we're actually called to do it just because, like, we're supposed to love our neighbors. That's what's required of us. So, um, so I just want to clarify some baggage with this word. When you hear the word hospitality, the first thing that you probably think of is, like, food and entertaining guests. Like having people over to your house, making sure your house is nice and, and clean and sharing food with them. And I want, like, that, that is certainly contained within hospitality, but it is such a small picture of what biblical hospitality actually is. 
So, uh, so let's define biblical hospitality. Hospitality is service that helps my neighbor in need experience blank. Service that helps my neighbor in need experience blank. So there are a series of things that we could put into that blank. Uh, could experience love. Could help my neighbor in need experience love. It could help my neighbor in need experience welcome. It could help my neighbor in need experience safety. It could help them experience understanding. It could help them experience value. It could help them experience my appreciation of them. Right? That's all of, the, all of these things. Hospitality is service for my neighbor, action for my neighbor that helps my neighbor in need experience these things. So, so when we talk about need, what you probably think of most uh, instantly is like physical need, material need, need for possessions, need for a home, need for money. And that's certainly part of it. But we need to uh, expand our understanding of need to, to the spiritual, to the social, to the emotional, to the financial. Like all of these things are contained within the category of need. Part of our job is to discern where our neighbor's need actually exists, right? So then we, we walk into their need and we meet it with some kind of service. So, so service to somebody in need could be something as simple as listening well to them. That could be a genuine service that they might not get in the rest of their life. It could be giving somebody a job who needs a job. It could be as complex as getting a crew of people together to go over to a person's house and, and maybe it's an elderly person and just take care of their yard and take care of some house projects that they need. Like hospitality could take so many different shapes. That service could take so many different forms. But it's service that helps my neighbor in need as we identify the need experience blank. So why are we talking about hospitality? Well, we are in this series called Connect With, and last week we talked about uh, kind of this missing piece culturally, like what we want to do is connect the gospel, connect Jesus to our neighbors, but, but when we go to share our reasons, we find often if we were to share them, they would probably fall on deaf ears, and the reason is that our neighbors are missing something. They're missing something. They don't have an openness, right? Because culture has told us that uh, spiritual conversations, they belong in the private part of our life. They shouldn't be out in the public, and so we can't talk about them. So what we need to happen is we actually need to be let into the private part of somebody's life, that they would be willing to have spiritual conversations. So, uh, so there are a series of things that need to happen in order to create openness. So, so last week we shared this flow chart with you, and I told you how I love flow charts, and, and how if what we're trying to get to is openness to the reasons that we're going to share, then uh, there needs to come trust before that. And before that trust, we actually need to exercise hospitality. Hospitality is the thing that kind of enables us to create trust, to create relational clout. And remember, there are only two things in that entire list that you have any control over. You, can, you are the only one who control the kind of hospitality that you extend, and you're the only one who can control the reasons that you give. Those are the two things that you can do. Everything else is up to the person and the Holy Spirit. Like he, that's the, the, You can't do anything about it. So if we're failing to get to the point where people will hear our reasons, 
that maybe what we need to do is evaluate our hospitality. So just to be clear, we do have this prayed for, desired, and result that people would come to repentance and faith in Jesus. But we're hospitable because Scripture commands us to be hospitable. We're not hospitable in order to create the result. We're hospitable because Jesus says, love your neighbor. So, um, so it just so happens, though, that good hospitality builds trust, which leads to openness, which would give us a better hearing. So two questions this morning that are kind of going to lead us through. Number one, what will make us hospitable people? And two, how should hospitality be exercised in the particular place that we live, suburban America? So uh, you can open your Bibles up this morning, your apps, to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, if you have a physical Bible, if you have your phone, you want to pull it out, pull up Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be in verse 13. And so I'm going to go ahead and start reading Galatians 5.13. This is what it says. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So uh, Paul is writing to people in Galatia, to the church that is there, and the church that is there has a problem. Uh, The problem that exists is that there is a group of people within that church that have reduced religion down to following laws and rules and regulations. This is what these people have done. They have taken religion and says, this is what it means to be religious people who follow God. We follow laws and rules and regulations. And what this led to was some uh, one group of people was lifting themselves up above another group of people and saying that we are better than you, we understand better than you. They were proving themselves through their own moral achievement And as Paul writes, what we discover and what he says to these people who are lifting themselves up through their following of laws and rules and regulations, he says, you are just creating another form of slavery. He's like, you think you were freed from slavery. Christ came came to free you from slavery. But here's the thing. As you uh, try to make this system of following the laws and the rules and the regulations, you are just creating another form of slavery. But Christ calls us to freedom. It says, you were called to freedom, brothers. So, so how does this happen? Well, when we trust Christ, when he becomes our portion, when he becomes our approval, when he becomes kind of the basis of our identity, he's the one who lifts our heads, he does something. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. So now instead of living according to rules and regulations, we are set free to do something that Paul calls walking by the Spirit. So, so as we walk by the Spirit, we walk according to the direction of the God of the universe, the third person of the Trinity who's taken up residence inside of us. He's showing us where we should go and the kinds of things that we should do. And so, you know what? Slavery, he's, uh, slavery can look like living for self, living for self-indulgence, letting other things rule your life, living for the next high, living for the next experience. It can look like that, but, but it can also look like Living for the approval that comes from rules, that comes from earning people's uh, attention and favor by doing really, really well at things. And, and both of these categories are corruptions of what God intended for humanity. They are both slavery. 
And Jesus Christ offers us freedom in the Spirit. Apparently, what that freedom does is it moves us towards other people in service. It moves us towards other people in service. That's what it means to be free. So look at Galatians 5, 14. It says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. So you want to talk about rules and regulations? Let me sum it all up for you. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So remember, we're talking about hospitality, and and hospitality doesn't actually describe everything that it means to love, but you certainly cannot love any person without hospitality. So, uh, So the conclusion then is, the freedom of walking in the Spirit results in us exercising hospitality. Like, as we walk in the Spirit, as we, uh, as we understand how God wants us to, to direct us, uh, it, it creates this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, this kind of impulse inside of us. And so freedom, walking in the Spirit, causes us to exercise hospitality. So let's go back, back to our flow chart. So the Holy Spirit is here in this picture. The Holy Spirit actually like plays a role because we need the Holy Spirit to empower our hospitality. So yeah, there we go. We got the arrow. The Holy Spirit comes and empowers our hospitality. He gets behind it. He gives us the freedom to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, the Spirit also has an additional role. So as we do this, We're also praying for the people that we're trying to see come to Jesus, that we're showing the people that we're loving well, we're praying for them, and the Holy Spirit kind of takes a role. Like, he's going to show up later in the equation when our friends, we uh, invite them into repentance and faith, and then he's the one who brings that about, who actually breathes life into them. He gives them new life. And so this whole time, as we're having our hospitality empowered, the Holy Spirit is drawing near to the person. He's drawing them to faith. So, the good news this morning that we have, as we look at Galatians, and, uh, and this is really our main point this morning, is this. When you yield to the Spirit, He yields hospitality. When you yield to the Spirit, He yields hospitality. When you surrender uh, aspects of your life to the Spirit, He starts bringing out of your life hospitality, the fruit of hospitality. So Galatians 5, 16 and 17, we'll dig into what this looks like. Verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. So, so the desires of the flesh, that's that living for self or living for rules, living for approval, whatever it might be. Those things are the antithesis of what the Spirit yields. They fight against the Spirit. So this is what Paul's going to do. He's going to provide two lists for the Galatians. And they are going to be examples. One list will be the works of the flesh the things that come about when you are living for self or living for rules. And then uh, he's going to provide another list of what happens when you actually follow the Spirit, when you trust the Spirit, when you walk by the Spirit. So what this means for us as we discuss hospitality this morning is that the works of the flesh, they are going to fight against our hospitality. They are going to impede our hospitality. As we seek to serve our neighbors, the works of the flesh are going to get in the way and stop us. 
but the yield of the Spirit actually advances the cause of hospitality. It makes our hospitality effective. So, so what are these things? The works of the flesh. Uh, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's like he's just saying, if I didn't name the thing that you're thinking about, here it is. Things like these. As I warned you before, those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, so it's not his goal here to be uh, kind of exhaustive of everything that is in, contained in the works of the flesh, but he wants to broadly describe the human predicament through examples. And so to kind of understand what he's trying to do here. Dr. Timothy George has a quote regarding Galatians, and this is what he says. He says, From the Tower of Babel to modern totalitarianism, from Aaron's golden calf to contemporary idols of money, sex, and power, the works of the flesh have littered the human landscape with misery, violence, and death. You know, these things have no concern for neighbor. They have no concern for hospitality, and they are entirely opposed to human flourishing, the kind of flourishing that God uh, intended to exist from the very beginning of creation. Intended for, for humanity to live in unity with himself and with each other, but these things, these works of the flesh, are opposed to this. So, so I want to note a specific grouping that happens right in the middle of the list. Galatians 5, 20 and 21. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. So, so, so enmity, uh, rewrite hatred. Strife, rewrite bickering and grudge holding. Jealousy, uh, rewrite put in uh, wanting what my neighbor has. Fits of anger, fits of anger like rage that produces violence, which by the way doesn't just have to be external violence, it can be internal violence as well rivalries. This is the idea of like self-promoting competition. Uh, Dissensions and division, the creating of factions. So try having hospitality cooperate with any of these things. No, it does not work. It's not possible. What do these do? Well, Well, these are actually the result of you turning your neighbor into an enemy. These are the result of your, you turning your neighbor into somebody who is supposed to prop you up as, as opposed to somebody you want to seek to try to live in unity with. So, if in your, you like relating to your neighbor, any of these things are produced, then what that tells you is that something other than the Holy Spirit is controlling you. That, that actually what's happening is that your flesh is controlling you, which means that you're not going to be able to love these people like Jesus because you have an old slave master that is trying to tell you and dictate to you how you are to treat these people. That something else is more important for you and your relationship with these people than, than simply to love them. So, so I want you to see what Paul's doing because what he's doing is he's giving them an evaluation tool. He's helping them to see what is guiding and driving their life. So if the results of what is guiding and driving your life are things like these, 
then what that means is that it's not the Holy Spirit that is guiding you. It is something else. And so, so let's meddle a little bit. Um, this tool is so important this week for us with this amazing thing that's happening on Tuesday, the election. Right? There's, there's something significant happening in our country. So I want you to imagine that next week, uh, let's say on Thursday, that I come up to you in a conversation and I engage with you and I talk to you about the fact that I voted for the candidate that you wanted to lose. I tell you that. Now, this is not just some neighbor. This is me, your pastor. And I'm telling you that I voted for the candidate that you wanted to lose. Are you, here's my question. Are you going to listen to me as I explain my reasons? Are you going to give ear to my perspective, which, by the way, you might disagree with, but I want to know on the front end, are you just going to listen to me? Or are you going to write me off before I explain to you how I arrived at the conclusion I arrived at? Did you already decide at the beginning of the conversation that I couldn't be worth listening to because I voted for them? That I couldn't have good reasons? That I must be morally bankrupt because I voted for them? Now, I don't have to tell you which person I'm thinking of in my head right now because people on both sides of this equation think the other group is morally bankrupt. Like, so, so are you going to listen to me? Because the moment that you see me as a position and not a person, as a party identification and not a precious human being made in the image of God, then what is at work in you is what Paul calls the flesh. It is not the Holy Spirit. In fact, it is against the Holy Spirit. So if those things, if those things are the things that reveal to us that the flesh is at work in us, destroying our love for neighbor, then what reveals that the Spirit is at work? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law because you know what? The law was intended to reveal these things, to help these things come about. Like if you look at the basis of the law, the law was meant to lead to these things. So, uh, so first I want you to read fruit. Uh, as opposed to works of the flesh, we have one singular fruit of the Spirit that works itself out in all of these ways. We'll talk about uh, what that means in just a second. Uh, I want to talk about how we get here first, though. How do we get to bearing fruit? Well, we've already heard Paul talk about walking in the Spirit. The way you might hear uh, other places in Scripture talk about this, it's being filled with the Spirit. Other places in Scripture, you might hear it talked about, about being submitted to the Spirit. But all of these point to the idea that there are aspects of our lives that we have yet to place under the Spirit's rule and reign. And until we do, like we need to increasingly yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit so that He can yield His fruit in our lives. So, so what does this look like then? Because if it's singular fruit, we often get the idea that uh, we can bear some of them in a moment but not others of them in a moment. 
And I, I want to actually challenge the thought that, that those things that you think you are bearing, they might not be coming from the Spirit. So, uh, so let's give some examples. If you are a kind person, you know, it's not, there, I know a lot of kind people who are not Christians and who don't have the Holy Spirit. So, so if you are a kind person, but you struggle with patience, what you're going to be inclined to think is that you need to work on your patience. I need to work on patience because that's kind of what I struggle with. But, but actually, like, what you need to do, because you don't need to actually just work on your patience, you need to find where your heart is not yielded to the Holy Spirit. Because if you're submitted to the Spirit, you will bear patience. That's what this is saying. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. So if you're submitted to the Holy Spirit, then you will bear patience. If you easily have joy, but struggle to be gentle, then, uh, then you don't need to work on gentleness. What you need to do is you need to find where your soul is being harsh against the Spirit of God. Because if you're submitted to the Spirit, you will bear gentleness. If you are good, you have goodness. But you don't have peace in this world. You don't need to work on just being more peaceful. You need to find what in your soul is resisting rest in the Spirit. Because if you're yielded to the Spirit, then He will bear peace in your life. So church, I'd submit to you this morning that each of these things, every single thing on this list, has significant bearing on how we practice hospitality. So uh, let me tell you how I know that. Last week... I asked you to do a project while we were all at home. I asked you to list two or three things that, that people in your life did for you that helped create openness, that you felt you were able to be vulnerable with these people. So two or three traits about them. The category of traits that was most referenced were things relating to, directly to the fruit of the Spirit. Like you could draw a line between the things that you wrote and the fruit of the Spirit. They were directly connected. You said these people, they were just loving to me. Oh, that person, they were very patient with me. That person had the goodness to point me to Jesus. All of these things could be drawn back to the fruit of the Spirit. That was the biggest category that anybody else listed. So, a number of you uh, mentioned Christian people that you know, and they exhibited these traits of the fruit of the Spirit. And as they exhibited these traits around you, it, made, it gave you the ability to be open with them. So when you yield to the Spirit, He yields hospitality. You watch that work out in the lives of people who invested in you. So what's needed ultimately for us to be hospitable people, every piece of us, needs to be submitted to the Spirit. Okay, so let's get really, really practical because there are specific traits of hospitality that, that culturally lend themselves to creating more openness than others. And, and you might even, you could think of them as implications of like practical modern-day examples of the fruit of the Spirit. So this, uh, this sheet, which many of you have in your seat or around your seat, has a back to it. And on that back, um, I went through the chat this week 
Um, and I, I kind of cataloged everything that you all listed in the chat about these traits that, that created openness. And so they're, they're actually cataloged in order from the ones that got the most responses to the ones that got the, the, the least responses. But all of these things helped for you to be vulnerable with the people who invested in you. So, uh, so you can see them here. Um, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, that one's the one that we could kind of draw directly back. Um, but then we talk about curious empathy. The idea of being so interested in another person that they can tell you're interested, they can tell you're listening well, you're able to reflect back to them what they say to you, you're able to be interested in them, you ask them questions about themselves that people don't typically ask them. Trustworthy integrity. To, to, to show people that you can be trusted, that you will keep your word when you say you do something, and that, that, that enables people to feel like they can open up to you. Loyalty and devotion. That you show a commitment to the people that you have in your life. Like, I'm not going to go through all of these, but the point is, these traits that you all listed, they all have value because they are all traits that enable us to practice hospitality towards our neighbors. These things are, are things that culturally we respond to, but, but things that culturally, like culturally, people around us respond to these things as well. And so I'd encourage you to just take this and, and, and look at these things, reflect on these things, because they actually do play a role in how people respond to us. So, uh, so like I said, we're not going to go through each of them, but, but I just wanted to give this more as a tool to help you understand like, the value of these traits. So I'll say two things beyond what is on that sheet. Number one, we need to do more than simply be nice. Hospitality moves far beyond being nice. Like, we actually need to be intentional with our hospitality. Because you know what? Like, sometimes you can use niceness to be a barrier from going any deeper with people than you want to go. Like, sometimes you can use niceness to hold people at a distance. So are, are you actually interested in the person? Are you actually evaluating their needs that might be anywhere from physical to spiritual to emotional? Are you trying to see where they're at? Are you trying to then be there, understanding and, and kind of accepting them as they process with you? But you need to do more than be nice, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. And the second thing is, uh, so uh, particularly in suburban culture, people are very guarded. Um, and uh, that has a lot to do with people feeling self-sufficient. When you come to the suburbs, you buy a house, you uh, feel like you have made a life for yourself and your family, and so um, typically what we want to do when we serve people is actually like we want to go help them, but one of the greatest tools that you could have is to invite a person actually to help you in some way. If you give somebody the opportunity to step in and be a help to you in some way, then, then what it does is it communicates to them that you value them, that you see like work that they put in, that there's something there, and that could create a level of openness that you serving that person might never have created before. Okay, so that's just like two little asides beyond that. So what? So what this morning? We talk about the Holy Spirit doing his work inside of us. Number one, I want to call us to evaluate. 
So my expectations as a pastor, as a preacher, is not that we would go out tomorrow and instantly start seeing the fruit of the Spirit in every aspect of our lives. That would be an unrealistic expectation, in fact. So uh, that's, it's not even that like we would start um, you know, just becoming you, you know, the most hospitable people, right? That's, that's not what I'm aiming for. It's that we would become aware of our hearts, our flesh. We would become aware of the things inside of us that are keeping us from being hospitable. That we would use the tools that are given to us in Scripture, that we would understand our passions and desires and the, thing that are the, the things that keep us out of the Spirit's continual guidance, and that we would actually like be broken over those things because they're taking away from our neighbors our love for them. That we would uh, turn away from them, that we would have a problem with them, but that, but that God would give us eyes and that we would seek God's eyes to understand what's actually happening in here. And number two, that we would yield. That when we discover where the works of the flesh are winning the day in our life, that we would repent. That we would read scripture into the, in relation to the, the places where the works of the flesh are, are winning the day. That we would rely daily on the Lord and His goodness and let that outweigh our passions and our souls. That we would constantly ask the Holy Spirit to take those parts of us that we're keeping away from Him and actually like uh, that, that He would enable us to submit them to Him. That we would uh, you know, have Jesus' eyes and heart and simply be a tool in our Father's hands and nothing else. So yield and number three, pray and then pray again. And then after that, you should pray some more. So I have a question for you, because I have a confession to make as I ask you this question. Have the three people that I have asked you to pray for faded from your radar sometime in the last two weeks? Because they have in mind. I got to uh, preparing this sermon on Wednesday, and I realized it had been like a week since I prayed for any of them. Right? So... If, if our intention is to see God do a work in the lives of our neighbors, that will not happen if we are not constantly seeking His will and His desire for them, asking Him to draw them. We not only pray for them that they would be drawn, we pray that God would empower our hospitality. So, so we, we pray that God would do something, yeah, maybe through somebody else in our lives, but we also need Him to do something through us. Through our, he needs to come and empower our hospitality. He needs to come and give us the right reasons to share with them. That he would be intentionally drawing our neighbors and giving us the things that we need to do and say to draw them into Jesus' love as well. So with that being said, I'm going to transition us into communion this morning. So communion, we remember this meal that Jesus had with his disciples. In this moment of hospitality where, where Jesus opens up this table, he shares the gospel with them about what he was about to do. And hospitality, you know, as you open up your tables, as you open up your homes, as you open up your lives to people, it's one of the, the most tangible pictures of the gospel that you can give somebody else. Because in order to be a hospitable, you know what you usually have to do? You have to sacrifice something in order to be hospitable. And in the same way, Jesus invited us into relationship with himself at great cost to himself. 
sacrificing his very life that we could be invited into life with God. And so you are a stranger in need. You are far off from God, but God did not just open up his home to you. He gave you his heart. So, so God is this expert at hospitality. He draws people to himself. And, and Christ accomplishes our being drawn to God through his death, through his body, through his blood. So this morning we're going to take communion together. And, and the, the wafer in there, uh, it represents Jesus' broken body. The juice represents Jesus' shed blood. The things that were done in order to accomplish us being drawn in to relationship with God. So I'm going to take a, a moment of silence and then we're going to just reflect. We're gonna, I want you to reflect on the ways that God has been so hospitable to you. And I want you to let that sink into your heart and drive your hospitality towards other people. So we're going to take a moment of silence and then um, just as a, a special note for those of us who are in person. Again, there are two layers of lids to this little communion cup that we have. There's the film on top and then there's another layer, the foil underneath that. Um, so just so you understand how that that works. So, so we're going to take a moment of silence together, reflect on God's hospitality for us. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing together. And then after we sing, we will eat and drink and share in communion together. So would you be silent with me, please?